Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Hello, everybody. I'm reading our passage, and this morning it comes from Psalm 51. Listen for what God is saying to you. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Because I know my wrongdoings, my sin is always right in front of me. I've sinned against you, you alone. I've committed evil in your sight. That's why you are justified when you render your verdict, completely correct when you issue your judgment. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will come back to you. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this scripture. Amen. So good morning again. Please join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts. God, thank you so much for gathering us on this beautiful day to um, maybe take a look, a hard look at ourselves, how we might grow deeper in love with you and with who you desire us to be. Prepare our hearts this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to receive what it is that you have to say to us. May it prick us in uncomfortable ways and also reassure us in deep, deep soul spaces. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a scene from the movie Slumdog Millionaire Uh, when the main character, Jamal Malik, uh, recalls a memory of when he encounters the biggest, kind of one of the biggest action stars in Bollywood. His name is Amitabh Bachchan. And just as Amitabh Bachchan's uh, helicopter uh, is flying over his village, everyone's like, sees it and is running after it. Um, And, you know, he's like, you know, his number one fan type of thing. His friend locks him in a latrine. Um, (laughs) And in his desperation to meet him, Jamal exits the only way that is available to him. So here's a scene from that movie. So so there's little Jamal literally covered in shiznit as he approaches his idol with a well-worn photo in his hand. The only thing that made it through his sewage swim, uh, unsoiled. So Jamal, of course, is aware of what he looks like and what he smells like, but it doesn't matter. He wants so badly to be in Amitabh Bachchan's presence that the opinions of everyone around him pale in comparison to the prospect of meeting him face to face. 
And miraculously, for whatever reason, in the middle of an adoring crowd, Amitabh Bachchan chooses to sign his photo before hopping into his helicopter and flying away. So in our passage for today, our poet is completely covered in a dirty, stinking mess, and he knows it. At the beginning of this psalm, there is a little note um, that says, uh, for the music leader, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after uh, he had been with Bathsheba. Now, scholars are actually kind of divided about whether or not this particular psalm was written by David. Most of them were written by him. Um, So it's not like it's impossible, but this one, for some reason, they're not um, really that sure. Uh, But I do think that there is something um, about the horribleness of what went down with Bathsheba that folks probably feel like the magnitude of what would make someone write a psalm or a poem like this that would come to God like this if it wasn't in regards to that particular situation of David with Bathsheba. It was like that level of terribleness. So a quick review for those of you who uh, don't really remember that story. Uh, King David started out as itty-bitty David the smallest kid from a very insignificant family, and he skyrockets to fame when he takes down Goliath, the biggest soldier of the army that has antagonized the Israelites. And so after a bunch of drama that I'm not going to get into right here, he eventually becomes the king of Israel. And as he grows in power, he begins to believe the stories of the people around him, how great he is, how powerful he is, how handsome he is, and on and on and on, right? So when he sees a beautiful woman um, on her rooftop bathing, Um, who is actually the bride of one of his best soldiers, he actually doesn't think twice before having her brought to his palace where he basically um, rapes her and and sends her home. So later, Bathsheba finds out that she's pregnant, and David pulls Uriah, uh, Bathsheba's husband, um, in from battle. They're, They're actively in battle. He pulls him in from battle for a home visit, hoping that Uriah will sleep with Bathsheba so that the pregnancy can be attributed to him. But Uriah is a really upright person. He says, my soldiers are on the battlefield. How could I enjoy the pleasures of being at home when they're out there putting their lives on the line, right? So David is disappointed at how much integrity his soldier has. And he sends him back to the battlefield, essentially, and writes a letter to his commander saying, place Uriah at the front of the battlefield um, in the fiercest battle and then pull back so that he'll be struck down. When Bathsheba's time of mourning had ended, David brings her um, into his home as a wife, and she has a son who dies just a few days after being born. Now, I'm certain that David had that feeling, you know, that little, like, scratch in the back of his head that says, you know what you did. You know it was wrong. You could try and tuck it way in the back, away from your consciousness, but you know. And then this person who you trust and respect comes to you. This is from um, 2 Samuel. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When Nathan arrived, you know, David's like, hey, man, what's up? How are you doing? Right? Nathan arrives, um, and Nathan says, there were two men in the same city, one rich, one poor. The rich man had a lot of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing, just one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised that lamb, and it grew up with him and his children. It would eat from his food and drink from his cup, even sleep in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to visit the rich man, but he wasn't willing to take anything from his own flock or herd to prepare the guest who had arrived. Instead, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the visitor. 
Now David got very angry at the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the one who did this is demonic. Demonic. He must restore the ewe lamb seven times over because he did this and because he had no compassion. You are that man, Nathan told David. This is what the Lord, of, Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from Saul's power. I gave you your master's house and, you, and gave his wives into your embrace. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. If that was too little, I would have given you even more. Why have you despised my word, the Lord's word, by doing what is evil in his eyes? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife as your own. You used the Ammonites to kill him. Because of that, you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite as your own. The sword will never leave your house. And in that moment, David realizes what a terrible person he had become. Demonic, compassionless. These are his words. He realized that he was not just covered in feces, but he was quite possibly filled to the brim from the inside out. So whether or not Psalm 51 was written by David specifically or not, the anguish and the grief and the self-disgust in it is so strong that everyone agrees. You had to have done something really terrible, David and Bathsheba terrible, in order to feel this bad about yourself and write this down. But for as much as Psalm 51 talks about the author's terribleness, underneath it also says a lot about who God is, actually, and what it means to follow God. So I will pause now on this uh, last Sunday of February uh, to turn from black history to black future. Earlier this week, I ran into Steve Davidson, one of our UVCers, and it was a, a Wednesday morning. He was working on a lecture about the voice of the prophets. He's an Old Testament scholar. And as he was sharing, he was talking about uh, the philosophy of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement, Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi. So if, in case you've been living under a rock, uh, Black Lives Matter is a queer black female project of people held together by a hashtag love note that spoke affirmation for black lives in the wake of Trayvon Martin's trial and George Zimmerman's acquittal. And I did say that right. Trayvon Martin was on trial and George Zimmerman was acquitted. Full of grief and sorrow and anger and love, Alicia Garza posted this phrase, Black Lives Matter, on her Facebook page. Patrice Cullors put a hashtag on it, and Opal Tometi uh, developed it further. She says, uh, Patrice uh, Cullors says, we didn't start a movement, we started a network. Um, and since the formation of this network, uh, which has grown to more than 30 chapters across the nation, captured headlines and even made it to an episode of Law and Order, uh, Black Lives Matter has become a catch-all for allies, enemies, and frenemies alike. Colors, Garza, and Tometi have witnessed others who have tried to build on, co-opt, or even dismantle the project through uh, their own variations, subtly co-opting and taking um, advantage of once again, um, trans and queer women's work um, and using it for their own purposes. All lives matter. Brown lives matter. Migrant lives matter. Women's lives matter. And on and on and on. An all too familiar pattern of erasing queer and trans women contributions to powerful, life-affirming movements from Stonewall, from Stonewall to the very first Pride Parade and beyond. 
So all along the way, these women and other leaders in the network have run into lots of divergent opinions, even with other people who might agree with them kind of in some base ways, um, either through misunderstanding or disagreement or all of the kind of variations in between. And this is to be expected, right? This is what happens when you organize large groups of people and try to spread your message. But as Patrice Cullors shares, the attacks on organizers um, like her and others who are working to show up for black lives, the constant flow of online bullying, terrorizing, shaming, um, harassment, it makes the possibility, um, the platform for a generative discussion almost impossible to be able to work, work things out, right? And this is a shame, she says, because it's in spaces of honest and vulnerable conflict, spaces for black folk, as Colors put it, to show up authentically inside ourselves. This is how communities and movements, this is how they push one another to greater excellence. This is how iron sharpens iron. When we call each other out, when we say, I disagree with you, tell me why, let's work this out, let's do kind of like what Stephen was talking about, right? Let's stay in relationship, we're committed together. Let's work this out. But when you terrorize and you bully and you shame each other, you shut down the conversation and people are afraid. They just can't come and show up, as she said, authentically inside of ourselves. But that kind of self-examination, that kind of willingness to engage your faults and flaws and foibles, it's really hard, right? It makes you feel weak and exposed and vulnerable. And if you don't like this, if you don't want to do that, but you want to get to know God better, if you don't like this, but you're trying to get to your center, well, I hate to break it to you, but you're locked in the latrine, and there is only one way out. <laughs> the thing is, being willing to enter that space of self-examination, that experience of seeing yourself in the mirror, or someone else forcing you to see yourself in the mirror, in David's case, and realizing just how far away from you you have gone, this is what it means to get vulnerable with God. The psalmist uses four different Hebrew words for sin. The first, the general word for sin, um, hata, which basically means to miss the mark. It's kind of an umbrella catch-all term for sin. Uh, but because the poet is trying to dig deeper, they try to get a little more specific. I have missed the mark. I have engaged in wrongdoing. I am guilty. I have transgressed. I have participated in evil. The poet is making trying to make a full account of his actions, not just say, I'm sorry, because I'm sorry is not really the point, right? Repentance is the point, turning around and doing and being and living different. That's the point. It's about repairing a relationship after betraying trust and commitment. And that means not only being honest about who you are, but recognizing and knowing who God is. Psalm 51 is not just a confession of who I am. It's also a claim on who God is. The psalmist matches those four words of sin with three words of love. This is who I know I am, but also, this is who I know you are. Hamam, merciful. Hesed, faithful love. Rahameka, motherly compassion. This is who you are, God. Merciful. Faithful love, motherly compassion. In Psalm 51, confession and claiming collide and wrestle in the soul of the poet. This is who I am, but this is who you are, God. 
Create in me a clean heart from the inside out. Put a new and faithful deep spirit deep inside of me. Knowing these two things, this is who I am. This is who God is. This gives us the courage to do the hard work of following Jesus and being our fullest, most authentic selves. The courage to do the hard work of faith. Patrice Cullors um, challenges those who are part of the Black Lives Matter network, who are committed to the complicated, painful work of struggling together to do the work. She says, who is courageous enough to join me, showing up as our perfectly imperfect selves in spite of and in the face of our differences? I'm committed, she says. Are you? Are you willing to do that hard work of looking in the mirror and realizing what a mess you are and how much farther you have to go and still showing up to do better, to be better? Are you willing to show up to God covered in the junk of your failures, holding on to that scrap of hope that somehow made it through your sewer swim without getting mucked up? The one thing that maybe is not covered in a bunch of crap. Will you bring all of who you are to God so that God can bring all of who God is to you? To hold you in the hashtag love notes of Haman, of Hesed, of Rahamim. To restore you, to transform you so that you can do better and be better. Proof, become proof to the world that the way to clean our mess is through fully showering in God's love. I am committed. Are you? Let us pray. God, we thank you that you receive us when we approach you and we have not been our fullest selves, that we have failed um, beyond just missing the mark, that you still spot us in the crowd and that you are not disgusted by us, but that you approach us and you call us your own, and you, you call us uh, to do better and be better in spite of what our past record may have looked like. It doesn't mean that we don't face the consequences of our decisions, God, but it does mean that we get to stay in relationship with you to do better, to live better, to be better in this world, that hope doesn't end on our work, but hope begins always with your work in our lives. God, we are committed. We want to be committed. And we thank you that you are committed to us. Amen. But now I see